Welcome to Hit Podcast, HIT, Human Resources, Insurance and Technology. I'm your host, Toby Kennedy. We are coming at you every week, dropping into your feed on Tuesdays with what I hope are really well curated conversations, dialogues, the goings on in the space to be a good follow for you, a worthy, valuable use of your weekly time. This week's episode is brought to you by Montage Insurance Solutions. And without further ado, let's get right into this week's hit. This week's hit is another, you guessed it, a hit chat, a a chit chat. I am joined by the uh, fantastic, amazing wealth of knowledge, Valerie Foster. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah. So Valerie and I first met a couple years ago where in my day job as an insurance consultant, my clients needed non-discrimination testing. And we wound up needing to find someone who's really expert and who can sort of walk us through that world. So Valerie, if you don't mind, if I can sort of throw to you, just let us know a little bit about your kind of professional background, your resume, your skill set with as as it pertains to uh, being a non-discrimination testing expert. Sure, happy to. Um, I am a CPA. I have my own practice, I'm a sole practitioner. Um, I have been for many years. I was with um, one of the national firms for a number of years. And at that point, I was um, with their human capital group. I'm I'm a tax accountant as opposed to an auditor. And um, I was able to begin specializing in employee benefits. And when I went out on my own almost 20 years ago, I limit my practice to employee benefit taxation issues. And that includes non-discrimination testing. So I work with clients. Um, Sometimes the third party administrator will do testing and sometimes they will not. And I'm usually able to step in and help where it's needed or maybe help if they've come up with an issue. So I appreciate that. And, and, and I, I not only uh, appreciate it here, I, I've professionally appreciated it many times for clients in the past uh, and can say uh, wholeheartedly that you do a tremendous job. If we had to back this up a little bit and I played sort of uh, novice HR person, what is non-discrimination testing? What are, what are we even talking about? Sure. Um, a lot of your clients may be more familiar with it with regard to their retirement plans. Those rules are pretty standardized. They test at the end of every year. Most, uh, many companies have 401k plans and that's very established. There are similar rules for what we call welfare and fringe benefit plans. Welfare plans are plans like health plans, life insurance, dental, that provide an actual benefit for the employee. Fringe benefit plans are plans like cafeteria plans or section 125 cafeteria plans, which provide a tax benefit for the employee. Um, All of those type of plans do have non-discrimination rules under the Internal Revenue Code. And the general goal of those rules is to be sure that highly compensated employees aren't receiving better benefits or making greater use of benefits than non-highly compensated employees. And then that usually begs the question, well, what's a highly compensated employee? And the answer is, it depends. That um, <laughs> Good old <laughs> IRS. Hey, I need to know something, IRS. Can you let me know? Maybe. <laughs> exactly. Or, or take your pick. Um, the, the most standard definition of highly compensated is the one used by retirement plans. And that is generally anyone who's a 5% or greater owner of a company, if you have a privately held company, or if it's based on prior year compensation. For example, in 2023, a highly compensated employee is anyone who earned at least $135,000 in 2022. 
that threshold changes every year. We had quite a jump coming up because of inflation. So for 2024, a highly compensated employee will be anybody who earned more than 150,000 in 2023. So that definition is used. I like for pulling aside an employee that earns $145,000 a year and explaining to them, you're not highly compensated. Oh, exactly. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Decent quid. Uh, right. So um, that is a, that definition is used for some tests, but there are some nuances. Um, some of these testing rules are very old, going back to the 1980s. And they use different definitions. Hey, I go back to the 1980s. Am I very old? Oh, do you? <laughs> oh, you don't look like you do. <laughs> um, so that's kind of in a nutshell what the um, reason for the testing is and, right. and the goal of. So that's an overview, not- right? And that's kind of where where the rules come from and 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 uh, kind of what the rules are. Can you talk to me, practically speaking, from an employer standpoint, if I just got thrust into human resources, what are my responsibilities? So the Internal Revenue Code does require that all welfare and fringe benefit plans be tested at the end of the plan year. So that's kind of the basics. Um, It's a bit challenging because for these type of tests, there's not what we call a correction period. For retirement plans, you test right after the end of the year and you're given a period, usually at least two and a half months, sometimes longer, depending on the test, in order to make any corrections if it turns out the highly compensated did get a higher percentage or a higher uh, dollar amount of benefit. And that's what you mean by testing, right? I mean, literally even just backing this up, when you say the cadence with which you test, what do you even mean by testing? Reviewing data? And obviously we, we, we employ someone like you that knows how to do this well. But what, what, what are you doing? What does is, what is two tests mean? Sure. So the testing is, is a mathematical testing. Um, some of the tests are based on number of participants. And all of the tests, uh, you start with the total number of employees that an employer has. And one of the nuances is if you have an employer that's a member of a controlled group where they have different subsidiaries, you have to take into consideration for each test all employees in the entire controlled group. Um, And basically some tests, you count the number of highly compensated in a plan uh, and determine what portion of that of the total highly compensated in the group to get your percentage. And you compare that to the percentage of non-highly compensated. And there are certain thresholds you need to reach in order to be non-discriminatory. There are a few other tests that are based on the actual dollar amount of contributions. And this is, uh, we can talk more specifically about Section 125 testing versus what we call Section 105H testing in in just a little bit. But um, some of the tests under Section 125 look at how much was either contributed to, contributed by the highly compensated versus how much was contributed in premiums and uh, spending account contributions by the non-highly compensated. And there are some mathematical calculations with regard to that. So this we're talking about, and I know you, you just teased a little bit between um, the 125 and then the 105H. In general, we're talking about not just like your you know, healthcare FSA, but also maybe the dependent care FSA. Are we talking about you know, your, your health insurance plans themselves? I know you mentioned earlier you know, welfare and fringe, but just to kind of put maybe a more street name to some of these things, what, what are you seeing as a primary reason where HR gets out of bed and they go, oh, shoot, I need to test this. I need to test that. 
Sure. So where I would start is with most employers have a Section 125 cafeteria plan to allow their employees to make pre-tax uh, deductions for their premiums. And then many of these plans also have flexible spending accounts or allow pre-tax contributions to a health savings account. Um, those plan, all of those plans are subject to what we call an eligibility test, which in general terms says, are you offering this benefit to everybody? Um, if your plan, your Section 125 plan also has the flexible spending accounts that you referenced a second ago, and there are two basic types, the healthcare or medical flexible spending account and the dependent care flexible spending accounts, those two accounts actually have separate tests that have to be applied to them. Um, the health or medical flexible spending account is actually considered a little self-insured plan that the employer is offering to its employees, and it's subject to what we call the 105H testing, uh, which is the same as all self-insured health plans. The dependent care flexible spending account is subject to what we call section 129 testing. And I'm sorry, the IRS just puts code sections I know, for everything. I know, I wish they gave them rad names like, you know, this is the gnarly test and this is the, the awesome test, but... You're right. That would be more appropriate in a lot of cases. And, and speaking of the gnarly test, so um, <laughs> that, that would probably be the Section 129 test for dependent care flexible spending accounts, if we want to talk about that just a second. This is the test that is most often failed. Yeah. This test basically looks at the contributions and just a, a quick refresher on, on the Section 1, uh, the dependent care flexible spending account employees are allowed to contribute up to $5,000 a year on a pre-tax basis for childcare expenses. And um, so the test basically takes the total, uh, the amount contributed by the highly compensated divided by the total number of highly compensated, whether they're contributing or not, and gets a dollar amount. And you do the same contribution for your non-highlies and um, it, it has to be the non-highly percentage has to be at least 55 percent of the highly and maybe getting too much into the weeds here no but no but i think this is really good and this is really helpful and i agree that so you know basically speaking i think what we've established here is that most employers probably have some if not several plans that the irs has outlined hey you are required to subject each of these different plans to various specified testings and you either know how to do that or you engage someone like Valerie. So Valerie, my question is sort of backing this up a little bit. When you get deployed to look over a group and you say, hey, look, there, there's these various tests that apply because you have X, Y, and Z in your benefits portfolio. Um, number one, what are some of the best practices along the way so that we don't have surprises? Do you recommend testing cadences in the middle of the year, at the beginning of the year? And number two, if you can talk to me a little bit about what happens if we fail. Sure. Okay, so let's start with when's the best time to test. And as I mentioned earlier, um, if you wait till the end of the year to test, there's no correction period. So if unfortunately the test doesn't pass, um, and I guess I can just a little bit explain what happens if the test fails. And the general rule on all of these tests is if there's a failure, the highly compensated employees, based on whatever definition applies, will be taxed on some or all of the benefits. Um, for example, on the, the Section 129 test for your dependent care flexible spending account, if you don't test that until the early next year and you discover that unfortunately the test has failed, then all of the highly compensated that contributed 
will be taxed on that $5,000 that they thought was a pre-tax deduction all of last year. So certainly a little and, egg on the face, perhaps, of HR. They have to go back and say, oh, whoopsie daisy, you know, you actually are not going to be in the spot that we told you you would be in. Exactly. So yeah, it makes for some awkward conversations. And what happens also, because this has to be included on their W-2, if you don't happen to test till after the W-2s have been issued, then you're doing corrected W-2s, which is another um, administrative challenge and, and frustrating to deal with. So in order to try and avoid that, the goal is to pass these tests. Mm -hmm. So we generally recommend what we call mid-year or projected tests. And as far as the timing, it kind of depends on the situation. Um, some employers who have uh, fluctuating workforces might need to do some protected tests several times during the year to keep track of things. I would say in general, it is probably a good idea for an employer to do a projected test midway. So basically take the earnings and on a calendar year plan from January through June and the contributions, and you kind of project it out the rest of the year and see how it looks. If it looks like, for example, the dependent care flexible spending account test would be failed, then at that point in time, you can limit the contributions for the highly compensated in order to present the failures. I've loved when we've engaged you with our clients, especially ones that are, are really particular about, hey, look, the way we're designing this, we might be a little bit close to the edge and we darn sure don't want to fail. So we've engaged you mid-year, right, to say, hey, look, how are we pacing? How are we doing? And do we need to sort of curb and change and adjust now and along the way so that we don't wind up getting at the end of the year with that awkward conversation? Exactly. So, um, and sometimes if you're, if you have a pretty steady state, some employers just rely on their mid-year testing uh, because they feel like, well, we haven't had these substantial changes in our personnel or our contributions for the later, latter part of the year. So you're still doing a once a year testing, but that again, you know, depends on the situation. So they've got this requirement to test. Is there a requirement to file the results or send them off to someone or what are the consequences if they don't do this right? So this is a, a self-testing. Um, there is no reporting of the testing results. Um, and the, um, risk, I guess, to, if someone doesn't test is if you are picked for examination by the IRS and the agent says, I'd like to see your test results, it's very awkward if you don't have them. Um, it's, it's not a common thing. This is not a particular focus of the IRS, but these rules are out there. And so it's, it's definitely advisable to, to keep track of them. So one quick thing before we kind of bring it home, we, we, we've touched on a few different areas we didn't really circle back to the 105H testing just yet. And I'd love to pick your brain on that piece too. Sure. So the 105H testing is the testing required for self-insured or self-funded. The two different terms are used interchangeably. Health plans that are not you know, fully insured through an insurance company. And just as a, a quick side note, currently fully insured plans are not subject to non-discrimination tests. Um, the Affordable Care Act actually put non-discrimination rules in place, but then the IRS couldn't figure out how to implement them, so they have been suspended indefinitely. But if you're self-insuring, you are still subject to these rules. Um, it can be challenging if you offer more than one plan to your employees that are self-insured, or as I mentioned earlier, if you have a controlled group where you may offer one self-insured plan to one group and maybe a fully insured plan to another group, even though the fully insured plan isn't subject to testing, 
because testing has to be done on a controlled group, that can impact the results on the uh, self-insured plan. And the self-insured plans have uh, both what we call an eligibility test, and there's actually three different mechanisms to, to calculate that test. And then there's a benefits test that basically says, is everybody getting the same benefit? So what I would uh, wanna kind of leave uh, your listeners with is that if you do have self-insured plans and particularly if you might have a situation where not everybody is offered it at the same premium or the same waiting period, you definitely should be testing. And one other difference on the self-insured plan is if the benefits test is failed, you can actually have a situation where the highly compensated employee is not taxed on their premium payments, they're taxed on their benefits. So right. if somebody had a major surgery during the year, that could be very painful. Yeah, it can be. You mentioned the non-discrimination testing part of the 105H and how that you know ultimately got walked back, even though it was sort of included in, in the ACA. But I do think on the fully insured space, I'd be curious to pick your brain and 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 uh, let me know your thoughts on this because they do still pre-tax premiums, right? So there is still a little bit of 125 going on. Curious to hear your thoughts on fully insured groups discrimination testing and how 125 might fold in? Sure. So if you just have a, a, a situation where you only have fully insured plans yep. and you have 125, you're still going to be subject to the eligibility test, which basically says, are you offering the same plan to everybody at the same rate? If you offer uh, different plans for different groups of employees, sometimes you can manage that situation by doing different cafeteria plans, but you still have to test on the control group basis. And then once you add flexible spending accounts, you have additional 125 tests. So you're exactly right that fully insured plans are not completely out of the woods when it comes yeah, to non-discrimination. Yeah, I just want a chance to speak on that only because rule. sometimes I'm the bearer of bad news when you meet a group like, well, our executives get the 90 you know percent PPO plan for free. And then we make all of our you know machine shop workers, they just get the Kaiser one and they pay through the nose for it. But it's cool because we're fully insured. I'm like, we should probably have a conversation about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, not so much. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, Valerie, thank you so much for joining us. And I got to tell you, sitting in the chair, we, we've obviously spoken multiple times throughout the years, but you are just such a wealth of knowledge. And I appreciate you so much. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate everything you've done for our clients along the way. And if anyone out there is listening, uh, can you just give a quick plug on, hey, if they wanted to ask a couple more questions or, you know, maybe uh, pull on your sleeve a little bit, how can people get a hold of you? Um, sure. Um, probably, um, you know, email is the best way. Very honestly, because I am a sole practitioner, I don't have a website because I want to make sure I can handle the, the business that I have. And fortunately, it's, it's, I've done well through referrals, so I yeah. certainly have appreciated that. Green light to, to, to reach out to Valerie if you have any questions. Um, and certainly you guys can always reach out to us. And um, thank you so much. And thank you guys for joining us. That's all the time we have this week. Join us next week, Tuesday. Join us every week. And until next week, make this the best week yet. Bye.